Memphis, happy Mother's Day. It's always a, a uh, good thing to honor your father and your mother, amen. And so we honor our mothers on this day and say thank you for uh, doing all that you uh, have done uh, for our families. Uh, let's go to God's Word this morning. Uh, I'm kind of battling a little uh, sinus issue in my in my head, so I don't know how good my voice is going to hold out today, but I think God's going to help me through this. But I want to go back to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, okay? And I want to go to chapter 5 this morning. Now, while we have finished up that series on comfort for the conflict, I would be remiss if I neglected the next portion of chapter 5. Uh, and so uh, you, you got to remember now that the chapters were not added to the late 1500s, okay? And so uh, they just kind of put that in there to kind of help us better find things, okay? And so I, I want to just do like a little addendum to that message, Courage for the Conflict, that we looked at at chapter 4. Because in chapter 5, Paul is going to deal with the issue of death, okay? Paul is going to deal with the issue of death. <clears throat> One thing about being a pastor uh, for the last, uh, I, I don't know, how many, what is this, 14 years, Mother's Day is usually a somber service. It just usually is compared to Father's Day. And so, I, hey, let's just go two feet in and go talk about death then. <laughs> okay. And so <laughs> we're going to look at this this morning uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when you think about it, of all the fears that plague the heart of man, there's probably none that is greater than the fear of death. Uh, most are afraid to die. Most are uncertain what happens when we die. But death is the fundamental problem that we all must deal with as humans. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 9 and 27, the writer of Hebrews says, Inasmuch as it is appointed, in other words, there is a reservation for men to die once, and after this comes to judgment. Now listen, the only way you are going to avoid this reservation is if Jesus Christ comes back when you're alive. And we all hope that is the case. But what if it's not the case? If it's not the case, then guess what? Every single one of us are going to deal with this issue of death. And not only if we don't deal with it, we've also had to deal with it in our family, Right? with our friends. And so the question this morning is going to be this, how should Christians live in view of death? How do we live dealing with the fact of death? And Paul is going to deal with this in our text this morning. Let's read the first eight verses. We're going to go back through these verses. And I've got three, three points I want to make this morning about death. Look what he says here. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked." For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge, 
Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at present or at home with the Lord. How should we live? What should be the Christian's attitude toward death? I think there's three things that Paul says here in these eight verses that we, how we need to approach life as we look at the subject of death. The first thing that we must do, as he did, is we must always live confidently, okay? We must always live confidently. Look at verse 1 there. Look what he says. He says, for we know, okay? Listen, he doesn't say we think. He doesn't say we hope. He doesn't say we believe. He says, no, we know. See, there were many things that perplexed Paul in his life. He talks about that in chapter 4. But one thing that did not perplex Paul was what would happen at the moment of death for a child of God. He was confident he knew some things. And what is it he says he knows? Verse 1b, he says that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What did he know? He knew his present body was akin to a tent. Now, think about this. You ain't got to blurt this out, but besides preaching, what was the Apostle Paul's occupation? He was a tent maker, right? So he knew the ins and outs about tents. And in Paul's days, people would use tents as they traveled and they, or while they were building a permanent house. And he compares his earthly body to a tent. But Paul's not the only one that does that. In John chapter 1 verse 14... The Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt. And that word dwelt is the same word as tent. So we can really say that Jesus came and tented among us. In other words, what he came in that body it was a temporary body. Also, Peter says the same thing. In 2 Peter 1, 13 and 14, he says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, same Greek word there, it's the same word for tent, to stir up you by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my, there it is again, earthly dwelling, my tent is imminent. And so scripture says that our present bodies are like Tents. And let me say this, the tents in biblical times were not much different than the tents we have today. Now, some people hate camping and others love to camp. Somebody said that camping is where you spend a small fortune to live like a homeless person. 
I'm not talking about RVing. I'm not talking about when you pull your $75,000 camper up that's got running water, cable TV. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about camping. That's not camping. That's RVing. Recreational vehicling. But when I'm talking about camping, I'm talking about when you go get a tent and you go to the campsite and there's no running water, there's no sort of sleep number mattress, and there's no air conditioning in the summertime, and there's no heat in the wintertime. It's not very comfortable. Right? I remember back in the early 80s when, when uh, we were going on vacation and my granddad had like a, he had a 20-foot Winnebago motorhome. We were going up to see his brother in Massachusetts and there was, uh, there was seven of us going at that time. And when we got to the first stop, somehow, some way, four others just called up there and said, we're going to join you guys. So we had 11 people in a 20-foot motorhome and my dad was a smart man because he packed a tent. He said, I'm not staying in this motorhome with 11 people. I would prefer to stay out in a tent, okay? But even in that tent, it was not comfortable. And what we got to realize is this, is this old body that we are in right now, it is like a tent. It is not permanent, it's not steady. You've never heard somebody say, hey, why don't you stop by the house someday? I want to show you my tent. Because it's nothing extraordinary you want to look at. Zip. Yeah, I see that. You've never heard somebody say, a storm is on its way. Let's go leave the basement and get in a tent. Right? Because tents are not permanent, they're not comfortable, and it's the same way with our bodies. Our bodies are decaying, we're not permanent in these bodies, we are just like tents. And Paul says that when his tent, his body is torn down, we will then get a building, a house, not made with human hands, but made by God which is eternal. See, we try to stay in this tent as long as possible. But you got to think about like this. When you die in this tent, you're moving into a house. And I don't know anybody would rather stay in a tent than a house. As a child of God, when we breathe our last breath here on this earth, it's like we are folding up our tent and we are heading home. We are folding up that which is temporary. We're folding up that which is frail. We're folding up that which is flimsy. We're folding up that which is troublesome. And we're heading to a house that is permanent, that is steady, that is strong, that is secure. And so when you think about it like that, you should live confident because we know that the moment this tent of mine is folded up, guess what? I'm stepping into a house. I'm stepping into a house. 
you look at a, a, a small kid, and I seen it last night as an illustration. My great nephew was sitting there eating SpaghettiOs out of a can while we're eating good stuff, right? Now, he likes SpaghettiOs because he don't know anything better. He don't know what steak is, right? Why would you eat SpaghettiOs when you can have steak? See, a lot of us, we fight death, and we're scared of death because that's all we've known is SpaghettiOs. When they're so much better that it's waiting for us on the other side. And so Paul says when we look at death as a child of God or when we deal with death of a loved one, we should live confidently because we know that once this tent is laid aside, once it is torn down, we have a house with God built not by man's hands, but it is built by God. So we should always live confidently. The second thing he says in verse 2 through 4 is we should live eagerly. Now, look what he says. For indeed in this house we groan, longing, there's that word longing, eager, to be clothed with our dwelling from earth, dwelling from heaven, excuse me. Inasmuch as we have put it on and will be found naked, for indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, two times in these three verses, Paul mentions the word groaning. It's also in the present tense, which means it's a constant thing in our life. There's two reasons why the Christian groans. We groan because of anticipation and we groan because of frustration, okay? Let's take anticipation first. We groan eagerly because of anticipation, because we are longing to get into our new house. Have you ever, if you've ever built a new house, okay, and so you're living with somebody, or you're living in an apartment, you're living in a trailer, whatever it is, a camper, and you're building that house, there is a longing in your spirit for them to hurry up and finish so you can get into your new house. And Paul was groaning because he longed to receive his glorified body. That explains why death holds no terror for the Christian. He would say this in 2 Timothy 4 and 6. He says, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. It has come. Paul looked at his death as not a final thing, but as simply as a departure. So let's talk about the word time here for a second, okay? I want you to understand something. When he says the time of my departure is at hand, that word time is a fixed and definite time. It's a fixed and definite time that God had for Paul to depart. Now, Paul says his death is like a departure. He says, my death is just like a departure. Let me explain it like this. Uh, this past week, 
my wife was scrolling Facebook and she said, oh, my uncle was in Hawaii. I want to go. Now listen, the people going to Hawaii, they got no problem going. But if we're at the airport seeing them go off and you want to go, that's a problem. For us, because we're left behind to go to work, do all the things while they're going off and having a good time. And Paul likens death to a departure. In other words, it's not a final thing. And when, that word, when you look at that word departure, it can mean different things. It describes like an animal unyoking from a plow. In other words, departure means it's just like an animal being released from a plow and now the burden of pulling that plow is finally gone. And when you die, it's just the same way. Your burdens are finally over. They're finally done. The trials, the struggles, the heartaches, it's finally over. It also means Loosening of bonds or fetters. And so death to Paul would be like getting out of prison. This body like a prison. You finally get out of it. It's also like the word, same word for loosening the ropes of a tent. For Paul, it was time to pack up the tent and head home. It's also a word used for loosening the ropes of a ship. Many times Paul had sailed the Mediterranean Sea and now... He is launching away for one final destination that he will stay at forever. And so, Christians, we groan because we see the limitations of our body. We see its frailty. We see its sickness. We see all these things we wish we could do that we cannot do. And so we are earnestly longing for our new bodies. That's the reason why we groan. We groan in anticipation. Paul would say in Romans 8.23, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised for us. We long out of anticipation. Could it be that we're not... Desiring heaven because we've become too comfortable down here? I don't believe God will allow his children to get comfortable down here. Because this world in its present state is not our eternal home. That's the reason why we have the valleys the suffering, the trials, the temptations, the tribulation, is because it keeps our mind on eternity. It keeps our mind on heaven. And then he says, verse 3, And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Now listen, I agree with Peter. Sometimes what Paul writes is hard to understand. 
But what he's saying here, I believe the NLT kind of makes it more plain. The NLT says it like this, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. In other words, what he's saying there is, when we die, we will put on heavenly bodies. We won't be just spirits without bodies. Now listen, I don't know what people who have died, already died, look like right now, whether they have a temporary body or not, but I do know, according to scriptures, we will get our permanent body when Jesus Christ returns. So, but however they are, whether they're spirits or whether they've got temporary bodies, I don't know. And if you want to debate that, have at it. It's not for me, okay? But we do know that when we die, we will not just be naked without bodies, okay? Then he says, verse 4, this is the frustration. For indeed, while we were in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So he says, yes, we groan because of anticipation, but we also groan because of frustration. In other words, we groan because we get older. We groan today, as they did back then, because we feel the pains associated with mortality, namely our physical limitations, sickness, heartache, the increase in disabilities that we have in our life. We groan because of the stress, the mess, the test, the unrest and the distress in our lives. How many times have we ever said this, oh Lord, why don't you just go ahead and take me home? You ever said that? Absolutely. That's the groaning that we do because of the earthly tent that we live in. We groan because we lived in a mixed up, messed up, fallen, broken down world. And so we are looking for a better place, a place where there's no more cancer, no more abuse, no more crime, no more sadness, no more tragedies, no more nights, no more sickness, no more death. We groan, we groan eagerly. And so as a child of God, we must live confidently, we must live eagerly waiting for that day. And the third thing is this, we must live courageously. We must live courageously. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be at present or be at home with the Lord. Notice two times in these four verses, Paul says he is of good courage. Courage means to display or have courage. It's an attitude of confidence, of firmness, of purpose in face of danger, of testing. It's a permanent state of mind. What was it that gave Paul courage that he could face death with courage? Well, verse 5 says this. I think there's three things here. First and foremost, he could be courageous because he was given a pledge. Look at verse 5. Now, he has prepared us for this very purpose who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. As a pledge. Now, what is a pledge? A pledge, we got the modern term, is earnest money or a down payment. 
If you find a house you want to buy, in order to secure that house, you would write them a check saying, here's a down payment, I'm guaranteeing I'm going to buy this house. Same thing with a car. You see a car a lot, you want to buy it. You go in and you say, listen, I'm giving you a down payment, this is guaranteed that I'm coming back and getting this car. This is what he's talking about here. He says that we have been given the Spirit as a pledge, as a down payment, and what Jesus is saying is this, here's the first portion, I am guaranteeing that I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself and I'm going to give you the full rights of your salvation. Again, we talked about this before. Salvation involves three aspects. Justification deals with my past. Sanctification deals with my present. But there's a glorification that deals with our future. It's when we receive our body. It's interesting because Paul says this in Romans 8, and I don't have this up there, that those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He doesn't say he will glorify. He says he has also glorified. That's what he says. In other words, what God says he will do, he will do. And as a Christian, if you get a death sentence from a doctor that says you've got three weeks to live, you can face death courageously because you know what God has deposited in you guarantees that he is going to fulfill what he has promised you. And so Paul said that he had been given a pledge. Also, it's the same form as an engagement ring. When you found that sweetheart, right? And you went and you purchased that ring. And you put that ring on her finger. What you were saying is this. You're the only one I'm through looking. Right? And this ring is going to guarantee that I'm going to be faithful to you. Now listen, you may say this, well listen, I've heard people get engaged and the man will start cheating. They, but God is not man. God is not unfaithful. You understand that? He's faithful. When God says he's going to do something, he will not lie about it. And so Paul says here, he can live courageously in spite of death because of a pledge that he had been given. That's so why he would say, we know, we know, we know, we know. Not we believe, not we hope, not we think. He said, but we know. And then he says this, his perspective. He says, therefore, being always of good courage and, there it is again, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now understand this. A Christian, a child of God, can only be in one of two places. You can either be in one of two addresses. You can either be in the body or at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body 
is to be in the presence of the Lord. Now listen, there is no such thing as a temporary holding place for a child of God. No such thing. Now, Old Testament saints, they would go to a place called paradise. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, he paved the way for us to go into heaven to eternity. You understand that? There's no holding place. There's no temporary place. There's no purgatory you either you are absent, you're either in the body or you're at home with the Lord. That's scripture. You can't argue with scripture. If a, you understand that, the very last breath you breathe here on this earth, your very next breath is in home, at home with the Lord. And so if we believe that, why do we do everything that we can do to stay in that tent? We patch it up. Listen, I don't have a death wish. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a child of God, when death comes look to us in the eye, we should be bold, be courageous, because we know that if this old tent of ours is torn down, we have a home made by God that is eternal. So the very last moment here, very next moment there. No soul sleep. None of that stuff. Last moment here. Next moment there. That's the reason why you can have courage. You're not going to a temporary holding place. It's not like a doctor's waiting room where you're sitting there and just twiddling your thumbs waiting for your name to be called. He says those that are absent from the body are in the presence of the Lord. Now listen, those who have rejected Christ, they right now are in a temporary place called Hades. Okay? Temporary place called Hades. But at the great white throne judgment, they're all gathered up and then they're thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? That's scripture. Do you understand? Child of God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Someone that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they die, they go to Hades, and they go to the lake of fire. Okay? Both terrible places. Understand that. That's the reason why you can live with courage because the moment you step out of that tent, your next step is in the house. Out of the tent, into the house. Out of the mosquitoes, into the house. Out of the hotness, into the air conditioner. Out of the sleeping room blanket, to the beauty rest mattress, so to speak. That's good news, right? Then he says, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight, not by perception. In other words, what is a walk of faith? A walk, if I'm going to walk from here to the end of this building, it's, I just can't go from here to there like that. It's a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. And that's what the Christian life is. It's a step-by-step, 
moment by moment, trusting God, not trusting my natural eyes. I don't walk by perception how things are perceived. I walk by faith. Faith is what focuses on the eternal, not what is happening right now. So he had the pledge. He had his, he was given a pledge. He had his perspective that, listen, ask from the body, present with the Lord. And then lastly, he had this. He had his preference. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Again, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Again, that's the definition of a Christian's death. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Now, there's a sign and there's a saying we've all heard. I think I remember when I first watched The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy would click her heels three times and she would say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And let me tell you something. As a child of God, as a Christian, right now, right here, we're just simply strangers, pilgrims, passing through and there is absolutely, bar none, no place like home. It is so great, you can't even describe it. Paul was not a man short on words, but yet when God took him to the very throne room of God, the third heaven, he said it was too great to even explain it. Too great to even explain it. Now you can buy all these went to heaven books you want to. I don't believe it. Because I believe if they really went to heaven, they would just say, can't explain it. Matter of fact, I think I may write a book one day. <laughs> My trip to heaven. So I have one page, maybe just a little pamphlet. You're going to open it up and say, can't explain it. So great. It's so great. You cannot explain it. Again, as a child of God, we should live confidently that we know that when this tent is torn down, we're getting a house. We should live eagerly, anticipating, longing for the day when we get released from these bodies and get our new bodies, and we should live courageously. Now let me give you a couple more scriptures, okay? John 8, 51. I want to look at this right here. John 8, 51. It's what Jesus says. Jesus says, truly, truly. And again, when Jesus says, truly, truly, it's like your mom calling you by your middle name. Trying to get your attention. Okay? He wants you to really pay attention here. He said, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. Okay? It's always important when you read scripture to understand what he's talking about. Okay? When you look at what he means here, he's not saying that a Christian will never die. But what he is saying is this, 
that when a Christian dies, they do not look at death the same way a non-believer looks at death. Okay? Because to a Christian, death is not the final thing. It's just a graduation. It's just a promotion. It's just a going home. Now, for lost people... This is your best life now. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't get another chance. Once you die, your next move is the great white throne judgment. And then the lake of fire. But to a child of God, he says, we will not look at death the same way because Jesus Christ went to the cross, he experienced the horrors of death for you and I so that we don't have to have those same experiences in our death. That's good news. That's good news. Now, how do we know we're going to be raised again? Well, there's two reasons. First and foremost, he raised his own son. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We know that. Facts was testified of that. The second thing is this. He has given us a deposit of his spirit that guarantees I will come again. I will raise you from the dead. Again, we will have a new body, not the same as before. We will have a new body, not just renovated or reconstructed. We will have a new body, but our identity will not be changed. And I'm going to say this. It's just coming and playing. If you've ever been on a trip, vacation, exciting to go but even if you've been gone to the most beautiful places there comes a time in that trip where you're like I'm ready to go home I'm ready to go home because there is absolutely no place like home in church don't forget, don't lose sight of the fact of this. That this right here is not our home. We're just in a tent. Listen, if Jesus is coming, tarries for another 50 years, there will come a day when you're going to read in the paper, if they still have them then, Rodney Ridgeway died. But when you read that, don't believe it. Because I'm more alive than I've ever been at any time when you read that statement. And I can live my life confident that I know that when this old tin is laid aside, I'm getting a new house. I can live eagerly knowing that even though when I wake up in the morning I got cracks and groans and moans and all this kind of stuff, I'm getting a new body. Like his glorified body. No more shots, no more insulin, no more trips to the heart doctor, no more trips to the pharmacist and I can live courageously because 
He's put the down payment on me. I can live courageously because I know there's a better day ahead. And I prefer, Paul would say this, I'm in, I'm in a straight between the two. I don't know what to choose. I really want to go home, but if God sees me fit to live down here, I want to live for him. That's a win-win situation. You realize as a child of God, you're in a, you're, you, you can't lose. You cannot lose. And so we can live confident, we can live eagerly, and we can live courageously, knowing this too will pass. This too will pass. Come on, Stan. It's going to be over soon. It's going to be over. One of these days, we're going to leave it all behind. We're going to leave it all behind. And so, child of God, live. Live courageously. Live confident. Live with your eyes set on heaven. Because this world in its present form is fading away. It's passing away. We're going to a better place, a better land. Amen.